0: I was touring through Florida and I don't make it down there very often. It's not one of my favorite states, but the people that come to my gigs are really, really nice folks and uh, they're really easy to be around, but they don't tend to be your average Floridian. I'll just leave it at that. But I was playing in Tallahassee. We're having a really good gig and a lot of fun. And somewhere in the middle of the show, someone shouts out, why don't you make it to Florida more often? And I had one of those moments of clarity and figured I'd be honest, and I said, if Walmart was a state, they would call it Florida. I soon realized that it might have been better if I would have just kept that one to myself. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs, and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here at my friends Sandra and Luciano's house outside of Amsterdam. Been on tour in Holland for the last week, and the shows have been going great. We've had really good crowds, and I played in England for a week before that, and we had really good crowds and good gigs, so the tour rolls on. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it Anyway. And this show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's a creative individual and the person experiencing it. And everything else is an artificial filter. And this is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Dan Baird. Dan is a singer, songwriter, and a guitar player based in Nashville, Tennessee. You might know him from his band, the Georgia Satellites. He's been playing in a lot of different bands over the years, and these days he's spending a lot of time with Dan Baird and Homemade Sin. You can find out everything you need to know about Dan at danbairdandhomemade.sin.com. Dan stopped by my house in East Nashville, and he'd just gotten off of a boat. He was on a cruise, some kind of a classic rock cruise, and he was playing in Bobby Keys' band, and he had a lot to say about that, a lot of fun stuff. But uh, we had a really nice conversation, so I hope you enjoy it. Here's Dan Baird.
1: I went on the rock cruise. I went on the the Legends of Rock Cruise, equaling... I'm 59 years old. I dye my hair, which is undyed at the moment, uh, because I got the skunk stripe. But uh, it will be dyed very soon because everybody else in my band dyes their hair, and I don't want to have to grow it out with it half-dyed and half-not-dyed. So eventually, I'll just get to the point where I quit, but I don't know when. Uh, Anyway, I went on there, and I felt like the youngest guy by far on the cruise. It was, was, um, and they had some good bands and stuff. I was getting over the flu, so I ended up sleeping a lot. And then I found out that they were giving me the football playoff games on the TV. So I watched TV, football, and slept a lot. I did go down and see Paul Rogers because I was flipping through, and they have you know a couple of the of the bands were you know there's three stages, I think, and two of them were always on on the, on the tube there on the on the boat. And I heard Paul Rogers sing, and I'm going like. Gah. Damn, he still got it. He still got it. And so I said, well, you get your ass up out of bed and go down and watch him. You know the way backstage. You don't have to, you know, you got your little laminate. So I went and I watched him backstage for a minute. And he was old school working the mic, you know, the distance thing that you don't need to do anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's like it, it looked like Sammy Davis was operating the microphone, you know. <laughs> It was really bad, and plus it was everything was just totally by rote. You know, it's just like it was just, I'm going to do this one that goes to this one. I'm going to get them to sing this part, and I'm going to, you know, there was, they had a drum solo to stretch the time where he didn't have to see. you know, it's like, who wants to see Paul Rogers drummer do a God, you know, it's not Simon Kirk, you yeah. know, yeah. who cares? It was terrible, and the guitar players, for me personally, left a little something to be desired. But he was fine with them. You know, it's his band. You know, it says Paul Rogers right on the front. It doesn't say Bad Company. They're doing Bad Company songs. It doesn't say Free. They're doing Free songs. But uh, <clears throat> it seemed to be basically everybody was doing a show and nobody was playing you know yeah it's like all these great rock and roll bands you know and i had to see a couple of them because you know we're setting up our stuff behind you know while they're still finishing up and foreigner i don't i don't like foreigner but they're they were good at what they did come on you know it's like you know i don't have to like hot blooded right but it is you know a lot of people did obviously
0: well who were there a lot of original members no
1: <laughs> Is it Lou Graham and a lot yeah, of other no, guys? No, and- Lou's had a stroke years ago. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he, he can't. Uh, that song of his, Midnight Blue, have you ever heard that? It showed that he could have, you know, and did not like, you know, check it and see, we'll have to get away from you know who, <laughs> double, double. I mean, Mick – Bad lyricist. You know, he's a good guitar player and put together parts well, but not lyrically challenged. (laughs) Lyrically challenged at best. Anyway, and he had a singer that sounded like Lou and and could cover him. But, I mean, he had the keyboard player, took a five-minute solo and is in Everyone Leave the Stage. You know, and I'm going like, this bogus is like... It's like, it doesn't come close. This was just bad. It's like, no, do another song. Yeah, uh, and I was out there with Bobby Keys, and actually there's a YouTube clip of us on the boat playing Soul Serenade that's 18 minutes long. It's just ridiculously overdone, but we played well. It was... It was the last night because Bobby was kind of sick with the flu, and I think he basically used my regimen of sleep, watch football, sleep, eat, watch football, sleep, eat, watch football, eat, sleep, watch football. Uh, That's not a
0: bad way to go, man.
1: No, it really isn't. I mean, I used it, you know, as a recovery vehicle, you know. You know, it's just kind of, I don't have to walk the dogs. Why? Because the dogs aren't here. (laughs) You know, I don't have to take out the trash. Why not? Because I got a guy you know, I'm going to leave him a little money. (laughs) He did, he did fold me up. They do on cruises, they fold your towels into different shapes every now and then. He got me a coat hanger, made wings out of one towel and a little bat head out of the other and hung it up in the middle of the room, backlit. It was (laughs) awesome when I came in. I was like, I had a you know, I had a bat made out of towels. It was great. I knew exactly what it was the second I walked in.
0: Like origami, origami yeah, yeah, towels. Yeah. They go, they, they, they overfold these towels. It's amazing.
1: Uh, cruises. I would, I would recommend one with nothing going on for three days. If you want to just, I mean, just chill. Cause the food's there. You can go down to the dining room. You got to tip the waiter, and it's a limited menu. Or, like me, you can go on the trough line, and it's an amazing trough. It's really good, and everything is gets a B or a B plus. Nothing gets an A. Nothing gets an F. And uh, so, I mean, and it's you know, with the sit down dinner, you have to talk to people. With the trough line, you don't. You just go get it and find a two person table. Look out at the water passing by, and it's freaking gorgeous. You know, and it's, 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 it's a great three-day do-nothing. Yeah, but you got to be ready to do nothing because they're really, you know, they can say all oh, this activity and that activity, and it's like, wow. Just getting, getting, my, getting my sorry ass to the, to the workout area was, you know, that was a big deal. Mac played on the Satellite's second and third record. Uh, I didn't. I was having a big fight with Rick Richards uh, during the second record. Uh, I, I can't remember over what. It was something stupid. Uh, it, I think it was some some idiot dick measuring contest, you know. And uh, I I kind of hid the day that Matt came to the studio. My loss, not not his. The next time. When he came down, we were in Memphis at Ardent Studios with Joe Hardy. And he came in totally, you know, congenial. This is 89, early 89. Uh, you know, very, very funny. You know, listened to the songs, made his little charts of the song. I don't even know whether he was. I didn't know about number system at that point. And so he made, you know, I think it was probably a letter chart you know, and how to, what he wanted to do. And we wanted him on six songs. So we, you know, he basically kind of worked through the first three and he began to show a bit of his personality. And we said, well, let's break for lunch. And there's a place down the street from Arden called Anderton's, not Sons, Tons, and it's a seafood joint. And it's a good one too. And me and Rick Richards, Joe, and, 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 uh, Mac went down there and we had, you know, kind of scheduled out an hour, hour 15 for lunch. We stayed down there two hours. I don't know how we did. I didn't throw up. He started telling stories. I can't remember a one of them. And it was like just laughing so fucking hard. I mean, he is outside of being one of the sweetest guys. He really does have the dirt on everybody. And over a over lunch. Now you gotta hire him to play on your record. <laughs> <coughs> Which makes him a little more expensive, you know, and buy his lunch, but he will drop the You know, he will drop 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 a dime on a lot of people. <laughs> but I did found find out I am the the uh Hector and I would say owner, but caretaker of Steve Marriott's 57 Esquire. Really? Yes. It, he lived in Atlanta from, uh, I think, 82 and 83. And I had a telly that got stolen. And then I replaced it with uh, possibly the worst Telecaster ever made uh it sounded like crap and didn't play well and was heavy as a lead as heavy as lead anyway i was dealing with that cuz it was the only one i could afford you know i was i was you know on poverty level living you know was specialty uh but anyway steve came in he was living there in town and came in one night and sat in on the third set And I always was the first guy to give up my guitar. You know, I'm going to get paid the same here. Jam away, man. And Richards was foaming at the mouth to get to play with, with Steve. And I looked at him, and I grabbed my guitar and put both hands around it and just went, one song. You won't let me back up, you know, I get one, I swear to you, just and he was fuming and he gave his guitar to Steve. And we played, uh, lit it rock, I think. And he kept on slowing it down and raising the key. And you remember those old phase linear amps, 750s with the VU meters in them? Yeah. We used, we had one of those for our monitors. And, uh, I set it to where, me, Richards, when we were singing, we'd eat the mic and it would zero. It wouldn't go into distortion, you know, into the plus side. Steve was about seven, eight inches away. We finally got it low enough, slow enough and high enough pitch wise that he was like, you know, Roy, right there, you know, and just and D. And he lets go with a, I'll turn my head to the side a little. In the heat of the day. And I sat there and went, I got to learn how to do that. (laughs) I've got to learn how to do that. And I looked over at, and when he went for down in Mobile, Alabama, I looked over at at our power amp. And while he was not singing, it was down, you know, normal little bump, bump, you know, picking up the band. And it bent one of the damn needles (laughs) when he hit the note. And I was just sitting there going like, I have so got to learn how to do this. (laughs) We went over that night. I gave up my guitar right afterwards. Was just sitting there just going like, oh, my God in heaven. You know, it's just, yeah. He's not washed Because he grabbed my collar right at the end before I walked off. And he pulled me down and went, you thought I was washed up, didn't you? And I went, oh, kind of. <laughs> you know, oh, I'm really sorry. You know, and he said, you know, he invited the band to come over to his place afterwards, listen to his records and stuff, blah, blah, blah. And he had a room over on the side. And much like you've got your Gibson Les Paul, he had a G brand Gretsch, you know, and the Esquire that I now am caretaking. And I sat down, mind if I play that guitar for a minute? He goes, no, no, strings are terrible, old and everything. Probably have uh, eights on it or something. It did have eights on it. I couldn't stand it. it was way too little a string. I sat down there, and I played that guitar for three hours. You know, one of my heroes is upstairs, you know, having, making jokes, you know, laughing with the guys. I'm sitting there. I'm so in love with this guitar. Everybody comes filing back out. I realize I have to leave. I cannot play this guitar anymore. I sat it down and I go, Steve, I know you don't need it, but if you ever want to or have any reason to let go of this guitar, I would do anything that was required within my means and probably past it a little bit. you understand what I'm saying? And he went, got you, mate. There was a guitar store called Dance Fine Guitars. And a friend of mine, Jeremy, worked down there. And he, uh, I, I, I came to him the next day just crying. Oh, my God. I've played the guitar. You know, I'm picking up 57 Les Pauls back when you, they were actually displayed. Play it for me and go, yeah, nice. I've played the guitar. I've played it. It's Steve's. It's, it's perfect. It's perfection. I've touched a V-neck telly before. Nothing came close. This was it. Six weeks later, Steve comes in and he wants the blonde three thirty-five. That it was his last guitar on the wall. He goes, "Yeah, yeah, I want that one. You know, and I'll, I'll pay you cash, but I want to trade a guitar, and it's as good as cash." This fella in the the satellites, and he pulled out the Esquire, and Jeremy went, I know. You know, he comes to the show that night, because we're playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Monday, you know, three sets a night at this place called Hedgen's. We just did our residency. We learned how to be a rock and roll band right there. Many different teachers along the way. But it was on a Thursday night, I think. And uh, we're finishing up the first set. And Jeremy comes walking in. He goes, Dan, give me your guitar. I go, mean, why? He goes, give me your guitar. I hand him my guitar. He's got a blanket behind his back with something under it. He removes the, he sets my guitar down, doesn't matter where. It's a bow door. He pulls off the blanket and he goes, I believe you play tens at the time I did. My freshly strung Esquire, he goes, This is mine. You owe me $275. And I went, Oh, yes, I do.
0: $275?
1: The guitar was worth, they figured because it had been refinished, held a sale value of $550. Oh, my God. No shit. (laughs) (laughs) Granted, it was $82, $83, you know, in that zone. Um, anyway, this gets back to Mac because Steve said he played 10 Soldier on that guitar with the small faces. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, he did. You know, because I flat up asked him because he I I showed it to him over in the corner. He goes, yeah, you are. And he goes, actually, and if I ever hit the lotto, I'm just going to go to Mac and just go, you're Esquire what number do you want what number just name a number you know remember it is just a guitar but it is owned by you and it is also him and Steve swapped necks when they were in the small faces so i've got i've got steve's body with max neck and i'd love to have the guitar that is you know the uh, the yang But the Satellites used to have a night off, it never failed in London, and Steve was playing someplace. We'd always go down and see him, and I'd say, hey, and he'd always ask, how's our guitar? And I, you know, she's fine, she's working still, and she "She likes to work, you know. But, uh, so I always consider myself the caretaker for that guitar, you know, and part of caretaking is play.
0: I played with you guys in Harisau, Sweden. I'm sorry, Harisau, Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And you guys just had a problem with the border patrol.
1: We have finally cleared debt. Um, That's a long story. We were bringing, okay, the band is landing in Zurich. Mick, our manager, and Pete, our driver, uh, have come down from England with the van loaded with our gear. Everything but the guitars. Still fly those over and back, but I got a whole rig over there. It's just so much easier than trying to get good gear over there because club owners don't specialize in good gear. <laughs> uh, so we have a whole back line and some merch. We've been in and out of Switzerland a number of times. Well, they get this little hotel in an out-of-the-way place in Switzerland for them to come. They cross the border, you know, at night when it's not busy, come run down to Zurich, pick us up, and we go do the first gig in Switzerland. That's the plan. We land... It's getting kind of, you know, an hour, everybody's there, and an hour past time, and they're usually there as the first person lands. You know, we're coming from New York City, um, Wisconsin, and two from Nashville. We get in a little bit different times, but our travel agent's good. It's usually within an hour. We're all there and looking around, and it's like, you know, what the hell's going on? You know, we've been here an hour and a half. No Mick, no nothing, no... no Message over the PA, I get online. You know, you got to, all right, I'll buy some net access here. You know, see if anything's come up. Dan, quickly as possible, it's a total emergency. You know, call this and such a number. We've been impounded. Turns out, and they're like threatening to, Put the, the damn ban itself up on eBay. They're ready to do it. You know, the, the, the border guards. And you got to remember, Switzerland's not part of the EU. They did not sign the treaty. They are their own entity because they're neutral. And they're neutral about everything in the world but money. I'll tell you that. Uh, anyway, they assess the value of the merch and figure up, you know, the entirety of all merch, all t-shirts, all CDs, and we're just starting the tour. They assess that we owe them $12,000. Oh, my God. Now, rock bands on certain level have $12,000. Some rock bands don't. <laughs> I fall into Category B. Don't have it. You know, I could raise it, you know. Anyway, so Keith Christopher is with, okay, there's the four of us. And Keith has been known to be on an airplane and libate and get to the terminal and re-libate. And he's, he's pretty well libated. So Keith's not going anywhere. We figure all this, you know, what to do out, some phone calls and stuff. Morrow, our drummer, who does speak German, and Warner Hodges take off on a train to the border town. I have got to watch all the luggage, the guitars, and Keith. That's my gig. And, you know, and I'm keeping the use, you know, I bought an hour's worth of time. I'm keeping the use down and stuff, and it's like, Ends up, they won't take American Express, which is all Warner has with him, and Morrow has a visa and an American—I mean—and a and a Mastercard. We basically go max out his cards oh, just man. to get the hell out of there. We don't know what we're going to do. We're on a marginal tour anyway. You know, it was going to be everything was going to be okay. Everybody was going to make their 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 earnings. And we have a meeting, you know, amongst the band after we figure out what's going on. We're in the hole 12, big. Mick hadn't got it, our manager. The driver is not going to be responsible. What they had done was they had driven through a border that supposedly, with no barrier up or anything like that, supposedly closed at 10 at night. It's written small in German. Neither one of them read German. It's very
0: easy to go through one of those without knowing. They
1: get through there. They pull up to their hotel, get ready to get out. And the cops descend, the Border Patrol descends on them. They are now, you know, Switzerland's most wanted. They come, okay, then we find out, you know, they're all night, you know, you know, how are you going to raise this money? That's all, you know. We finally show, you know, show up the next day, and we ended up putting it on Maro's credit cards. And I'm figuring for a year, you know, well, just you know, work some of it off. You know, I know basically we've been keeping up with interest is all we've been doing. And so I go, all right, we're going to figure out a way. We're going to put it on my home equity line of credit. You know. Instead of, instead of the 15% a year, we're down to, you know, a reasonable, you know, reasonable loan. Homemade Sin did a show at the Rutledge that Frank happened to videotape, and we put it out as a DVD to raise money, made a big deal about it, ended up that the Swiss government for, somehow got embarrassed. We'd got enough Swiss people on our side to, you know, like, get them angry. And they forgave half of our debt. Really? Yes. And we raised the rest of it. You know, some people made big, big, giant contributions. Uh, Ian Hunter, I mean, he threw 500 British pounds at it, which I'm just like, thank you, sir. Ian's
0: Ian's beautiful, man.
1: Yeah. And, uh, And some other people, private people that I know, you know, gave 500 bucks here and there. And it's just like, you know, so we've actually that turned into something where off of that DVD, we each came home with a little money. Because I was going, at the end of this tour, you know, we're taking everybody's pay, and that debt is gone. You understand? You know, a buck for a buck, you know, everybody. And because we had a meeting, it's like, you know, we could we could take our manager, who was marginal, who's living marginally, and put him out of business and, and make him responsible for the entire 12 grand. You know, Absolutely, just put him out of business. You know, the guy has been working me since 2000 and has never, never stiffed me. Yeah, not you know, not even close. Makes a good guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. Mick Brown is a is a good man and can't read German, don't it? (laughs) (laughs) Got the worst shock I ever had. I remember that we were playing early on, and because I used to have EMGs in the, uh, in the Esquire, I, I was not grounded, so I you know I never got shocked, no matter what. And we were playing at a place called uh, Theatre in the Round in, in St. Louis, and they spun us around. And if you ever saw the satellites back in the day, we were not a quiet band. We were not, I'm just going to put it to you like that. We were not a quiet, we were loud, really were. And that was back in the days so when, you know, you had a Marshall head and a four by 12 and you didn't have master volume. You just turned the sucker up. Sounded great, but it was loud. And it's like, and as we were turning around, you could see people just kind of wincing, you know, because <laughs> it was in the PA as well. And it's just like the poor, you know, to, in today's world where you bring in a deluxe, and you know aim it at the ceiling we'd be perfect you know you know we'd figure it out but back then it was a no compromise here's the back line and just mow them down something about that theater and i touched a screw on the telly that was part of the chain to the amp that obviously was not grounded and i have and i have a filling in my front tooth that it shot I think about two inches of blue lightning <laughs> <laughs> and I was on my knees. I mean, seriously, mid sentence, you know, mid, 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 mid lyric, just like on my knees. And I was like, I was one scared puppy after that. It was just like that. Mic just. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I learned at that point, you just, you still test, you know, And kids, the way you do the test is you put your hand around the top of the guitar, you stick one finger out, and you, against the back of your finger, touch the microphone, because shocking makes you clamp, and you will clamp away. If you do open hand, you will close, and like the guy in Stone the Crows, back in the 60s, you will die. That almost famous thing came from something. That's excellent that's, advice. Yeah, yeah. Do not... Yeah. And that's the way you test it. Because it's not going through your hand, it's going through a digit. Yeah. Not so bad.
0: I got shocked onto my nose and I saw an arc, and it was the most painful thing. Oh, my God! It's just... It, the blue lightning. Yeah. yeah
1: that's all you got to say to a singer. The blue <laughs> lightning hit. <laughs> Now, Brian Henneman, did you see his post last night on Facebook? No. Oh, it's hysterical. He's got the flu and he's trying to continue.
0: And you can't sing through this shit. There's nothing worse than getting you know, you have the fever. Oh my god. And you're just freezing no matter how many blankets you have on you. Oh
1: my God, it is the worst. It, it, being sick on the road and having to do a show is it, cause it. It is the one thing nobody really starts thinking about. It's kind of like if I get sick, what do we do? Well, you do the damn show,
0: and you feel horrible, and everyone is staring at you—a yeah. whole room full of people.
1: Yeah, a room full of people. Wow, he's singing like Froggy, you know? And 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 you're doing the best you can, you know. But it's like there are, and depending on how big your crew is, everybody there is dependent on you, singer boy. Now I've been sick. As Will Hogue's guitar player, and have had, you know, I used to would, would normally sing backups. I just told him just strike the mic. I'm not even going there. And had one of the best nights ever playing. Yeah. And I will tell you now how to get through that. There's a thing, especially in the South, although they're spreading. Headache powders, especially and specifically goodies. They have Asp goodies has the has the trifecta: aspirin, acetaminophen, and caffeine. You can take one, and while you're sick, you won't feel good, but you can do whatever it is you need to do.
0: Well, is it dirty like trucker speed, or is it clean? Or? oh,
1: it's it's clean. It's like it's like it's like taking a couple of aspirin, a couple of Advil, and a couple of shots of uh, espresso. Exactly what you know, or no dose. you know, it's just, you know, if you take too much, you're going to feel like, you know, wound up, you know, just can get wound up and get
0: nervous jitters.
1: Yeah. If I, you know, every now and then I'll sit there and if I'm really tired, I'll take, you know, some of the guys in the band, if they're really tired, they take two, you know, I don't want to take two. I'll have a cup of coffee and, but, uh, you know, and I don't take them recreationally cause they're hard on your liver. They just are. But, you know, before any show, yep, I, I've tried it without one. <laughs> get up and go, got up and went. You know, seriously, <laughs> just, you know, it's just, it's just old man stuff. I'm letting, letting way too many people know how to do this. Yeah, it's, it's actually a, an excellent primer on, you know, how to do it. You'll find yourself, and if you get, find yourself getting fussy while you're on it, realize that it's you. You know, you've got too much caffeine in your system. You're, you're being fussy, but you can get through the show. You know, you can do a nice long show, and then, and, oh, your worry's going to keep you up all night? Not if you put on a good show. You know, if you throw yourself at it hard, which is what I use instead of talent, you know. <laughs> <laughs> i got to tell you a Carol Kay story that was related to me through Allison Prestwood. You know Allison? No. Old Session bass player from Nashville. She's a, She is a mofo. She is great. Got great groove. She went out to the NAM show in California one year. I don't know whether she was helping Lakeland basses or somebody like that get started. And uh, she was an early Dorsey, probably. Something like that. Anyway, she was out there and went, I'm going to go meet Carol Kay. How do I go meet Carol Kay? And for those of you that don't know, Carol Kay was the Los Angeles bass player. For she was part of the wrecking crew. And she was there from 59, uh, 60 through 68 when the wrecking crew fell apart for all intents and purposes. She never quit playing, but not the level of of work went down. Anyway, so Allison decides, you know, hell, I'm going to go meet my idol, you know. You know, the first woman that really, you know, got it done. So she went out there to, and she found up Carol and went, you know, I'd like a bass lesson. She goes, okay, hon, you know, when? You know, today. Actually, I could fit you in come on over. And she goes, you know, comes up to Carol and she goes, okay, well, what do you know? And so she's busted automatically, you know, she starts playing. She goes, you don't need a damn lesson. You know, after, after two minutes and she goes, I want to learn how to play with a pick. She went, You hold it between your thumb and your first finger. Let's go get lunch. <laughs> <laughs> so they're going to get lunch and she starts talking and and, and 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 telling a story about, um, I guess it was Leon Russell was sick one day, and they needed a piano player. And this guy comes in, and he's getting to play with the wrecking crew, you know, 64, 65, you know. And he's going like, I'm going to show these guys I belong. You know, I belong. They ought to get rid of Leon Russell and get me. And so they do whatever song it is and they're getting ready for the first take and he begins overplaying to show them his chops. And it's like Tommy Teodesco's looking at the ground. Hal Blaine's looking at the ground at the end of the first take. You know, Glenn Campbell's looking at the ground and finally... The lady with the beehive hairdo, who happens to be Carol, looks up from her base and just looks out across at him and goes, Good God, young man, I hope you don't fuck like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite parts about living in Nashville is just all the great players. Oh, my God. It's an easy town to stay humble in when there's people like Reggie Young walking around. When
1: I started figuring it out, I went, well, I am probably the 435th best guitar player in town. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Unless somebody moved in this today. And then I probably got to go to 436. (laughs) You know, it's seriously, the town will keep you humble. It'll also keep you interested in the fact of if whatever it is that you're good at, and it's you're not going to be able to out-solo anybody, so what you do is you end up perfecting your groove as a guitar player and getting better and better at your groove. And you try and widen your palate to where you can assimilate some of that Bob Britt, who's a fantastic guitar player, lives here in town. His wife, for a long time, I don't know if they're doing it anymore, <clears throat> Vicky Carrico, Sheila Lawrence, and L. Mosser and Etta used to get together and sing as, as you know, the four girls would sing and call themselves the Kentucky Thunder. And Bob was always a guitar player. And we had met, and I think I had done a. A gig with Edda as you know, second guitar to Bob, you know, and it was fun. Yeah, you know, we had a blast. Etta calls me up. Dan, you want to do a, a, a gig with Kentucky Thunder on a guitar? Hell yeah! Be great. I'm in. Call up the next day, and it's like, you know, you know, decide when it is. Well, you know, I'm gonna to have to, you know, pick up the charts. I've learned how to read Nashville style. And I said, yeah. Has Bob kind of figured out what uh, he's gonna do and what I'm gonna, to... Bob's not gonna be here, honey. You're it. I went, I'm not as good as Bob on the solos. I'm really, really not. I have more fun than Bob has. (laughs) You know, I have more fun in a gig than he has in a year, but (laughs) and it's just like, get out there and do your best. You're our boy. And I just went out there and, you know, and I figured out and had to call up friends, you know, what's a three plus (laughs) chord. Well, you know where the three is. Yes. What's the plus? It's an augment. Which one is that? You know, <laughs> that's you sharp the five. And it's just like, you know, when it, I got out of that gig. I went in one musician. I came out another. I came out. It's like, man, you've got to learn how to do this. And, and then after I'd done it a couple of times, gotten my feet wet and kind of knew where things were, I went, well, I can bring to bear what I do now inside of a theoretically rigid system. And it became, well, Dan's really fun. You know, he's actually good at this now. You know, his solo playing isn't going to set the world on fire, but we're not asking him to do a lot of it. Fantastic. You know, I will get down and I will make your song go. You know, and you start figuring out really good, really quickly in this town, you know, I look at a guy like Tim Carroll as kind of like a like-minded guy yeah I love you know Tim. yeah it's like he gets the job done but it's his groove he's got a Tim Carroll groove
0: yeah
1: that you know hey that's Tim there's a
0: sound too yeah it. there's a, a sound there's there's, a, there's a, a
1: you know you know how tight is he are you popping the you know it's like the whole thing is kind of like you can hear him it's like you know, if you sit down and listen to Motown records, you can tell which one's Jamerson, which one's Babbitt, you know. Yeah. But you got to listen. You know, in this town, it's just a lot more of them. I can tell which one's Pat Buchanan, bam, like that, you know. Yeah. But that's the great thing about living here is you. That's the anti-table you're playing. You know, it's, it's not a, it's not penny ante poker, y'all, <laughs> you know,
0: you better bring something. Dan, I appreciate you coming over Absolutely, here. Absolutely.
1: I had a blast Otis.
0: Appreciate you chatting with me and uh... not a problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Dan for stopping by my house in East Nashville, Tennessee, and having this conversation. You can find out everything you need to know about Dan at Baird and homemadesin.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to OtisGibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made. You can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's CDs, you can buy one of Amy's children's books. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment on there. It'll take you just a few seconds, but it'll help us move up in the search rankings and help a lot more people find out about this show. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at infotisgibbs.com. At I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.